And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. You know, it helps to turn the, turn, let's do this. There we go. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Helps to hit the button. Just one of those days, right? Greetings, everyone. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com, SciFiForMe.tv. And friend to all, 33 years in the media, which means I can fully appreciate the fact that I don't work at CNN is a good thing right now. Right? Uh, I do not. I I do not envy any of those folks over there with what's going on. Would not want to be Mr. Potato Head right now. Megan Kelly says there are other shoes about to drop, so we'll keep an eye on that drama. But that's not part of our drama, fortunately. I mean, CNN is speculative fiction a lot of times. So, you know, we... Nah, never mind. I, I'm, I'm not going to go there. We're not going to do that. <laughs> and that is, of course, only my opinion. Good to see those of you in the chat. I see Davis, Akili, I see uh, Sci-Fi Snob. And I'm sure other people will be in here. Uh, by the way, Sci-Fi Snob, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you back among the living. Um, if you are not with us live, you can still leave a comment or you can send an email live from the bunker at sci-fi-for-me.com. This show is also available on a number of different podcast platforms, including Spotify. No plans to take it off anytime soon. So, uh, if you do listen to this show, uh, occasionally you might want to check out the live broadcast on uh, the various different video platforms. Just for a little bit of a difference. So... All right, so kind of a kind of a mixed bag this morning because the the news of the day uh, is not all 100% positive. But first of all, I do want to uh, shout out John Williams. Today is the Maestro's 90th birthday. And, uh, and, and of course, fans are celebrating all, all across the web and, and offering their well wishes and, and congratulations and all of that. Of course, he's going to be working on scores for Indiana Jones 5 and a, and a couple of other projects. So, uh, so there is the good. And now we shift over to the bad. <coughs> I don't know if some of you have heard or not this morning. Uh, but we got word that visual effects genius Douglas Trumbull 
passed away over the weekend. His daughter Amy took to Facebook to confirm the news, make the announcement today. Uh, she uh, he he passed away last night as as I'm reading this after two uh, two years with uh, cancer, a brain tumor, and a stroke. Uh, he finally passed away last night. Uh, she says uh, he was an absolute genius and a wizard. And his contributions to the film and special effects industry will live on for decades and beyond. He created the special visual effects for 2001 A Space Odyssey, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Blade Runner, Star Trek, and The Tree of Life. He directed Silent Running and Brainstorm. Uh, my sister Andromeda and I got to see him on Saturday and tell him that we love him. And we got to tell him to enjoy and embrace his journey into the great beyond. So uh, our condolences to the, uh, uh, to the family of Douglas Trumbull. Trumbull was one of the pioneers. Uh, if you go back and look at his career, uh, directing Brainstorm probably broke him a little bit more than, than people realize. Uh, but <coughs> his, his work in visual effects, I mean, essentially he got brought in to save Star Trek The Motion Picture. He is responsible for the big five-minute uh, reveal of the new Enterprise design, all of those great uh, camera shots and visual effects in, in the first movie that actually got used over and over again because they got reused. A lot of, those, uh, a lot of that footage got reused in Star Trek II. Uh, but uh, Trumbull was also responsible for the slit scan effect from 2001. He did, he did the visual effects on that movie. And Stanley Kubrick... Got the Oscar for visual effects on 2001, even though it was Trumbull's work for the most part. But uh, that uh, that sequence at the end, when Dave is going through the monolith, and you've got all of the streaks and the rainbow effects and the lights and the patterns and everything, that was all Trumbull. And it was a new technique that he, des he designed specifically for that. Uh, he used a lot of, uh, of interesting effects uh, for various different things that he'd done over the years and, you know, used different camera techniques and, and approached special effects, visual effects, with the eye uh, uh, toward what this would look like in a camera. If a, if a camera is looking at this, it was one of the things, one of the reasons why we have so many lights on the outside of the USS Enterprise is because, you know, what's this going to look like? Because you got to think about key light and fill light and all of that. So, uh, so yeah, a pioneer in visual effects. So, you know, I remember back in the day when, whenever you talked about visual effects, you talk about Douglas Trumbull, you talk about John Dykstra, you talk about Phil Tippett with the, with the, uh, with the stop motion stuff. Those were the guys and they did everything, you know, close encounters, ET, Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, Star Wars, all of them. Uh, so yeah, Douglas Trumbull will be missed. He, he had a, a phenomenal legacy. Blade Runner. I, I want to say he did uh, Batteries, Not uh, Batteries Not Included, too. But uh, phenomenal work. A genius in visual effects. Uh, you know, you, you, put, you put those guys up <clears throat> with Ray Harryhausen. And, and George Powell and, and that group. They were... They were responsible for a number of groundbreaking uh, groundbreaking film event moments. So, 
he will definitely be missed and our condolences to his family and friends. All right, so, <coughs> excuse me. All right. Now, Sci-Fi Snob says he was, uh, saw the, the special VHS version of Star Trek 1, 12 extra minutes of footage, six minutes more of going around the Enterprise, and six minutes of going through the V'ger cloud. It was torture. That is, uh, that's not the best cut of that movie. The extended version. The director's cut is much better. And I would not be surprised <clears throat> if the, you know, when when the 4K edition comes to Paramount Plus later this year and the stills that are that are coming out of that so far, this thing looks gorgeous. But I would not be surprised if they dedicate that work to uh, to Douglas Trumbull uh, because it's it's a lot of his stuff. So, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I apologize for for uh, <clears throat> not being 100% still, although my ears have finally cleared up. Uh, but this tickle in my chest is still there, and just it just wants to hang on. So I will do my best uh, to hit the button before I blow your ears out. So uh, there we go. All right, so... What I want to do, I want to I want to talk about the Oscar nominations uh, because they came out yesterday, and I know over the last few weeks there have been a lot of people talking about how Spider Man No Way Home needs to be nominated for a Best Picture. And while I could agree with that statement, I knew, as I know now that there's no way that No Way Home would get a Best Picture nomination for a number of reasons. But the main one being the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences does not like science fiction. Can barely tolerate fantasy and won't even consider horror. Now, technical achievements, sure. All the way around, you know, all sorts of, of Oscar nominations for visual effects and sound editing and, and, and that sort of thing. But you're never going to get a science fiction picture nominated and winning Best Picture. <clears throat> it's just not going to happen. Because the Academy made up a bunch of snobs. I mean, if, if, you, if you get right down to it, these are people, and, and we see this with the Hugo Awards too. It's the same kind of thing. The intelligentsia, the people who think that they know better and know more than you do, got their noses stuck up in the air thinking they're better than everybody else. And while Spider-Man No Way Home is doing phenomenal box office numbers, it's $1.7 billion, I think, right now, worldwide, it's not going to be an Academy Award-winning picture because it's popular. Because it's a superhero film. It's not art. And I think that's interesting that these films, Dune, Blade Runner, 2001, 
you know, you look at science fiction as a whole, and when it's done well, when the story is done well, whether it's a short story or a novel or a movie or a TV show or, or any of those, science fiction at its core is self-examination of humanity. When it's done right, it gives us a way to reflect back on ourselves and say, hey, is this the kind of people we want to be? Is this where we want to be in our development, in our culture, in our technology, and how we deal with other people, and how we treat the environment, and all these other things? Now, message fiction has its place. Now, I'm not saying that message fiction should trump everything else. Because you still ultimately have to tell a good story. That has to entertain you. And Spider-Man No Way Home actually does that in spades. But, uh, as we will see, there are some detractors and there are some reasons why No Way Home will not get the nomination, didn't get the nomination. And I can agree with some of the points made and I can disagree with other points. Because when you get right down to it, the Academy, for all of their purported sophistication, they're snobs. And not snobs like Sci-Fi Snob in the chat. I, I, they, are, they are really, we're better than you, snobs. That, that that comes across in a number of interviews. It comes across in a number of, of ways that they present themselves and how they talk about things. And not just, not just in the entertainment world either. The way they talk about politics, the way they talk about culture, the way they talk about uh, social issues and, and various different things that are going on. They are elitists. They do think that they're better than you are. And the people who are running the Hugos are the same way. We've run into this now for the last four or five years with, uh, with what was going on with the Sad Puppies campaign. They've, they've proven that the Hugos are compromised by elitism. Hollywood's no different. The Academy Awards are no different. It's just, uh, it's just another place where they can congratulate themselves and pat themselves on the back for being better than everybody else and, oh, too bad you don't see it. And the Academy has never been appreciative of science fiction. If that was the case, then 2001 would have won Best Picture. Star Wars would have won Best Picture. Not just because it tells an entertaining, rip-roaring story that people enjoy, but also it has metaphor and meaning in the hero's journey and, and all of the archetypes of storytelling that are in that, in that, in that movie, but also the groundbreaking visual effects and editing the music, all of that. Instead, Annie Hall gets best picture for that year. How many people pop the popcorn on Saturday night and say, Hey, I know, let's watch Annie Hall for the 45th thousandth time. I would hazard a guess that not too many people 
have Annie Hall on repeat? That's a guess on my part. But I would say I, 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 I'm pretty confident in, in making that statement. However good Annie Hall may be, and I've never seen it, I will admit, I don't have any interest in Annie Hall. I've not ever really been a big fan of Woody Allen. It's not that big a deal to me. There are a number of films that I haven't watched because, one, they're not science fiction. Two, they don't look interesting. I read Moby Dick because I had to, not because I was interested in this groundbreaking sea change novel. Pardon the pun. So let's let's look a little bit here at the nominees. I'm not going to go through all of them because there are a lot of them that have absolutely nothing to do with us here. But uh, it is interesting to see some of these because the Academy expanded their Best Picture category to 10 films. And part of that thinking was, you know, we expanded to 10. Maybe Spider-Man gets in that 10. And it still did not get the nomination. Uh, the Power of the Dog from Netflix. West Side Story, which nobody watched. See? It, it's not about being popular. More on that in a minute. Uh, let's see. Who else? Coda. Uh, let's see. Where's the list? I thought... Oh, here we go. Okay, so Best Picture nominees. Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, which... Would you, would you consider Don't Look Up to be genre fiction? I mean, into the world, there's an asteroid going to plow into the planet, and maybe-ish, I don't know, but it's not nominated because it's peripherally science fiction. I would say it's probably nominated because it skewers certain mindsets and and philosophies uh drive my car dune nominated for best picture it will not win king richard licorice pizza nightmare alley the power of the dog west side story so those are the nominees for best picture <clears throat> now dune's nominated but i'm going to tell you right now dune is not going to win best picture I could almost guarantee you that Dune will not win Best Picture. I don't know what will. I haven't seen any of these any of these movies. I've seen Dune. I haven't seen any of the rest of these films. I haven't even heard of half of them. I don't know anything about Coda. I've never heard of Drive My Car. I don't know anything about those. But I will tell you, given the early buzz about Jane Campion... I would say that The Power of the Dog is probably the leading contender for Best Picture. West Side Story probably be right up there too. Best Director nominees, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion, Steven Spielberg. <clears throat> Denny Villeneuve gets snubbed for Best Director. Uh, Best Director. One of the most visionary directors that I think we have in modern films, Denny Villeneuve. I mean, you look at what he did 
with Blade Runner 2049 and then what he did with Dune. And I can only imagine what he's going to be able to do with Rendezvous with Rama. The man's a brilliant visionary. I mean, literally, vision the vision that he has for the films that he makes is extraordinary. But, they said, back in the day, prestige pictures were the usual contenders for the Oscars. Well, I would say that's probably still the case, not necessarily prestige films, but the artistic films. <laughs> the literary films. The films that have meaning and substance. That's, that's the films. Those are the films that the Academy looks at. Now, West Side Story. Okay, it was a completely unnecessary remake. So, okay, whatever. The Power of the Dog, I think, is a Western. I don't know. Will Smith gets nominated for King Richard playing uh, um, playing the, the tennis... Oh, uh, what is it? Serena, is Serena and Venus Williams' dad. Uh, Denzel Washington for Macbeth. Now, Denzel Washington is a phenomenal actor. No question. And anytime he's nominated for Best Actor, of course, he's nominated for Best Actor. He's Denzel Washington. Uh, let's see, who else is on here? Kristen Stewart getting a nom for Spencer. Uh, again, I, I haven't seen any of this, so I don't know anything about any of these performances. I don't know anything about the stories or the movies or anything like that. But, there is a track record that the Academy has for snubbing genre pictures. Now, Dune gets Best Adapted Screenplay nomination... Uh, best cinematography, and and deservedly so. Uh, let's see here. Uh, best let's see animated uh, animated animated films. We've got Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus the Machines, Raya, and The Last Dragon. I haven't seen any of them. I just haven't. I haven't really been interested in any of them. I haven't seen. I, you know, the stuff that I've seen marketing for. Just hasn't grabbed my attention. I'm like, okay, I don't care about any of this stuff. Best costume design, Cruella, Cyrano, Dune again, Nightmare Alley, West Side Story, uh, Dune for best original score, uh, Dune for best sound, No Time to Die for best sound. Uh, let's see here. Uh, skip the documentaries. We don't care about documentaries. Best film editing, Dune. Dune's getting a lot of nominations, but they're all technical. Uh, let's see. Best Makeup and Hair. Coming to America, number two. Cruella, Dune, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, House of Gucci. Uh, best Makeup and Hairstyle. Dune will probably not win that one. Best Production Design, Dune, Nightmare Alley. Uh, let's see. Best Visual Effects, Dune, Free Guy, No Time to Die. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. There's there's a, a nomination for a Marvel. And Spider-Man No Way Home, a nomination for a Marvel film. And it appears that's the only nomination that Spider-Man gets for Best Visual Effects. 
And the fact that you've got two Marvel films nominated for Best Visual Effects means that neither one of them is going to win it. Dune will probably walk away with that one. That's my guess. But Spider-Man No Way Home gets one nomination. It's just... Wolverine 626 says I've seen King Richard and Dune Dune was better King Richard was your typical biopic I mean what what do you what do you think uh, I mean you're limit you're limited a little bit when you end up doing a biopic you're doing a biographical movie telling the story about somebody's life there's only so much you can do to tell that story. You've got to make it. You've got to make it interesting. You have to make it compelling in terms of storytelling and and give people a reason they want to watch. But if you're telling a true life story, quote unquote, so called, uh, there's not a whole lot of leeway. So either the story's good and interesting, and it's you know this. Overcoming obstacles type of thing, or it's you know a story that nobody nobody cares about. So now look, Will Smith is a really talented actor. He got a nomination for this thing. He's probably delivered a a a, a powerful performance. He's done that before. Um, you look at uh, what was that one that he did where he was the he was living out of his he. he um, Ha- the oh what was the happiness one it was a, that was another one where he was playing a real life person so you know he's got the talent so who knows Wolverine says the score for Dune is the worst part of that movie Dave agrees with that I you know the the score for Dune is not memorable. And I think that you have <sighs> the problem the problem with science fiction films right now if there is a problem then it is in the fact that you only have a handful of composers that are doing all of it. You've got Michael Giacchino, you've got Alan Silvestri, you've got Danny Elfman, and you have um, I mean Howard Shore has done some, but you don't have a broad spectrum of people doing musical scores, orchestral scores for science fiction films. And so they all start to sound alike or they they don't have any real defining sound at all. It's one of the problems that Jerry Goldsmith ran into with Star Trek The Motion Picture. You know, he, he's famously told the story, I don't know how many times, where he's he's going through and he's doing the music for the movie and he's got uh, he's got Robert Wise in there, and they're looking at stuff, and and Wise looks at him and says, "There's no theme." And Goldsmith is like, "I could have had a V8, you know." He hits himself in the head. Of course, there's no theme. That's what's wrong. 
And so you, he had to go back through and do everything over again and, and find a theme. And that's where we get the, you know, the theme for the Enterprise that becomes the Star Trek, the motion picture theme came out of that uh, space dock sequence. If you go and listen to the, the extended score, the original track for that scene is on, those, uh, is on that, that CD compilation. And it's good. And you can you can still see the Enterprise reveal and all of that in that piece of music, but it's not quite as effective as the one that he actually did come up with for the film. <clears throat> and you don't get that a whole lot. I don't I don't recall anything in the Dune soundtrack, the Dune, the Dune score that just leapt out at me and said, "This is a phenomenal piece of music." Not like John Williams. John Williams, his music for those films is iconic. Star Wars and Superman and Jaws and, and Close Encounters and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And you listen to Alan Silvestri's scores for Back to the Future, that trilogy. You know, these, these are pieces that are identifiable like that. You automatically know, oh, well, that's, that's Back to the Future. That's Alan Silvestri. And there are some people uh, whose music I could I could listen to a few bars and I could probably 90 percent certain tell you who composed that piece. Between John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner and Alan Silvestri. And Howard Shore, you probably you probably do pretty well to identify whose score belongs to whom. You don't get that very often nowadays. Silvestri's got some pretty good stuff with the Avengers music. <clears throat> but there's not a lot of it. The Marvel music doesn't come ready to hand right right there in my head about, you know, particular themes or or signature motifs or anything like that. John Williams was famous for that kind of thing. Yoda had a theme. Luke had a theme. The Force had a theme. Obi-Wan had a theme. Darth Vader has a theme. The Emperor has a theme. Princess Leia has a theme. Han Solo has a theme. Lando Calrissian has a theme. Everybody's got their signature piece of music. And you weave all of those back and forth in and out of each other to tell your story with music so that if you take the dialogue completely away, you could still understand what's going on just by listening to the music as you watch. And I don't think we get that very much nowadays. Yeah, Wolverine, you're, you, that's, a, that's an excellent point. Howard Zimmer, or sorry, not Howard, Hans Zimmer tends to lack theme music. Man of Steel had no Superman theme. That's right, it didn't. And if you go back and you listen to Shirley Walker's theme to the animated Superman series that Tim Daly starred in, and you listen to John Williams' Superman theme, and you even go back to the George Reeves series, I've pointed this out before. There's a triplet. There's a three-note signature in every single one of those scores. I mean, we all know the, we all know the Superman theme from John Williams. Da 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 da. You know, there's three. Da da da. The George Reeves theme does the same thing, 
only it does it in a different pattern, but it's still a three-note signature. And Shirley Walker's theme does the same thing. Hans Zimmer's music for Man of Steel does nothing. I, I, I don't... I, I can't... I can't recall it. I can't hum it. There's no... There's no... Memorable signature piece... Really, out of any of the D- the current DC movies, I mean, the Wonder Woman theme from the first film is is pretty is pretty good, but the rest of it is just kind of there. I did finally see Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It's not a bad movie. It's pretty good. I mean, okay. I saw Black Widow finally. Nothing to write home about. Ten years too late. It probably would have done better and had more meaning had it come out after Civil War. But, you know, it is what it is. I listen to some of these people that are making all this noise about the MCU, about how Phase 4 is going to be woke. And I, yeah, whatever. I don't... I don't see it in the movies that I've watched as much as people keep thinking that it's there. They just they're just not they're not telling <coughs> excuse me. They're not telling compelling stories. Not in the way that that you might think. Some of this stuff is predictable. And yeah, I know people talk about the Marvel formula. Marvel movies follow a formula, and probably they do. But Spider-Man No Way Home kind of broke the mold on that a little bit. I mean, it's it's got some stuff in there that you know kind of what's going to happen next. But uh, it's uh, it's got some nice little surprises in it too. But it's not a best picture. It's not. Black Panther wasn't a best picture either. Black Panther got got nominated only because of what it was in terms of racial identity. I mean, it's a formula Marvel picture just like any of the rest of them. It just happens that the entire cast, almost the entire cast, was not white. And so it was this phenomenal thing by by the nature of what it looked like, not what kind of story it told. But, you know, <coughs> that's how that's how the Academy thinks when it comes to nominating pictures for awards. It's not about the type of story that gets told. It's not always about you now on the technical side of things, the effects and the makeup and the costume and all of that, sure, those are those are craft awards and you recognize superior craft but when it comes to the big awards best picture best director best actor best actress all of that stuff those are those are just as much political awards as they are recognizing good work so there's that so anyway Wolverine says 
Uh, phase four has been very lackluster for me. Shang-Chi was a martial arts movie without any real good fight scenes. Uh, yeah, I, I, the... The fight scenes were okay. I mean, the stuff the stuff on the bus was pretty was pretty fun to watch. The problem with the fight scenes that you get in the Marvel pictures, especially when you get into the crowds, is that they get messy, they get muddy, and they get hard to follow because there's just too much going on visually. It's overstimulating, and it's not necessarily you know. I have ADD and I get overstimulated. It's just visually there's a lot going on at the same time and they have a tendency to kind of get mixed all into each other. And all you see is this moving blob of of movement and there's no there's no detail. There you lose you lose a lot of definition because you're relying too much on CG. So if I stop says if any Marvel movie deserved best pick it would be Infinity War. I agree there. That was that was a very well told story. It had consequences. It had gravity to it. Uh, it had uh, it had an effect on the characters that were left at the end. Uh, absolutely, that that one. If if any of them deserve best picture, that one does. So, all right. With that, I'm going to take a real quick break. We will be back with more discussion. We're going to get into some specifics. Uh, some some discussion as, as to why Spider-Man didn't get a nomination when we get back. Don't go away. Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. The concept of flying cars uh-huh. is just a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. It is a disastrous idea. People can't drive on a level, flat surface, yeah. let alone... You know, it's uh, trust me. This is one of those things where you want Khan to be thinking two dimensionally. The H two O podcast, Monday night at eight, only on Sci Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here, along with you in the chat. Those of you who are with us live, we are broadcasting to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube, and it looks like it's all kind of working right now. I got green lights everywhere, so see how long that lasts. Talking about the Academy Award nominations that came out yesterday and the snub, the snub, uh, several snubs, actually, some surprises, uh, but uh, several snubs. Denny uh, Villeneuve should have been nominated for Best Director for Dune, no question. Uh, but this article here I thought was interesting. It was a, it's, a, it's an examination of Spider-Man No Way Home. This is out of Variety. Adam Very, the art, uh, the the writer on this. Spider-Man: No Way Home earns just one Oscar nomination, and not for Best Picture. That shouldn't be surprising. And it goes on here, in the article. It should not be shocking in the least that Spider-Man: No Way Home failed to earn an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. Only two other comic book adaptations, Joker and Black Panther 
have ever earned that honor. Unlike those movies, No Way Home failed to earn nominations from any of the top Guild Awards, and it only earned one other Oscar nomination for visual effects, as opposed to the 11 total nominations for Joker and 7 for Black Panther. And yet, in the wake of No Way Home's astronomic financial success, to date it's earned over $1.7 billion worldwide, making it the sixth highest grossing film of all time amid a global pandemic, the movie became something of a cause célèbre for those who believe the Oscars desperately need more popular nominees to remain relevant. Let me stop there for a second. The Academy Awards have not been relevant for a very long time, if at all. The Academy Awards has always been a way for the Academy and the Hollywood people to congratulate themselves and pat themselves on the back and recognize each other for their craft, whether the movies that they are, are rewarding are popular or not. I don't think it's ever mattered as very, very much at all whether they're relevant. I mean, box office success has never guaranteed Best Picture, and, and really, it's a rare occasion when a movie that's at the top of the box office also wins an Academy Award. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King comes to mind. But it doesn't happen that often. And why would it change now? Because the Academy is so focused right now on race and representation, they're not looking at box office numbers. They're not looking at how relevant these movies are to anything. And as we saw with that article about the Hollywood, you know, Hollywood's new rules, everybody is so, so fixated right now on race and identity politics to the point where story suffers. Nobody's worried about story. Nobody's worried about telling a story that's relevant to the audience except in terms of what the cast looks like, what the crew looks like. How many people of color are on here? I mean, right now, that's the metric in Hollywood and people are scared to get that wrong. Continuing from the article. Indeed, this year the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences permanently expanded the Best Picture category to 10 nominees in part to increase the chances that blockbusters like No Way Home would make the cut. Instead, Dune is the sole major box office hit to earn a Best Picture nomination this year having grossed uh, $107.6 million domestically and $399 million worldwide, despite its day and date release on HBO Max. And I would also contend, I'd add to that, uh, and hi, Mazurus, I see you there in the chat. Mindy is, is off running errands, but I'll tell her you said hi. But I would also contend that one of the reasons why Denny Villeneuve did not get nominated for Best Picture is because he's spoken out against the day and date strategy. He and Christopher Nolan both said that it's a bad idea and we shouldn't do it and, and I don't want you to do it to my movie. 
So I'm not surprised Villeneuve got snubbed for Best Director. That's just me, though. All right, uh, continuing here. Meanwhile, the Best Picture nominees released by streamers, Apple's Coda and Netflix's Don't Look Up and The Power of the Dog, have no recorded box office grosses whatsoever. If anything, the expanded Best Picture nomination slots ended up going to the kind of art house movies, Nightmare Alley, Drive My Car, that have been Oscar darlings for most of the century. See, you see the nose just kind of gets stuck right up in the air right there. Granted, the Oscars haven't been allergic to box office success either, non-nominating recent high-grossing movies like Bohemian Rhapsody, Get Out, Hidden Figures, The Martian, and Mad Max Fury Road for Best Picture, not to mention that Black Panther and Joker were both billion-dollar grossing blockbusters. All of those movies, however, had a distinctive aesthetic approach, more in line with the Academy's sensibility of applauding standout artistic achievement. Both Black Panther and Joker, for example, earned nominations for costumes, production designs, and score. Again, those are craft awards. Black Panther won Oscars in all three of those categories, and Joker won Joaquin Phoenix his first Oscar for Best Actor. And I said at the time when Joker came out, this is Taxi Driver, set in Gotham City. Joker was not a supervillain movie. It was not a superhero movie. It wasn't a cape film. It was about a guy going through a mental breakdown that could easily have been any kind of story that you'd get from somebody like Martin Scorsese or or Francis Ford Coppola, maybe, or or or, or uh, Brian De Palma. It wasn't a superhero movie. It wasn't a comic book movie. So yeah, it's artistic. Okay. And it and it made a it made a good amount of money and it was successful and and great. But it wasn't it wasn't a genre picture the way that we normally think of them. So that's it's out. That's that's it's that's the escape hatch there. And like I said before, Black Panther got nominated for all sorts of awards because most of the cast was black. It, it wasn't a great story. It was a it was a serviceable story, and actually, it really kind of kind of surprised me that anybody that anybody thought that it was a really great story because Wakanda was almost Trumpian in its attitude, its isolationism. We, you know, we've got this wall of invisibility around the around the nation, and we're not going to to interact with people. We're not going to trust anyone. We're not going to we're 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 isolationist, and Wakanda is better than anybody else on the planet. But we're not going to share. I mean, you could you can make all sorts of arguments that, you know, however you feel about Trump some of the kind of rhetoric that he was engaged in, you could, you could argue that the Wakandans felt. But it didn't matter because most of the cast was black. And that's why I got nominated for Best Picture. I have no doubt about that. Because that comes right in the middle of all of this discussion about representation and hashtag Oscar is so white. Of course it was going to get nominated for Best Picture. 
But it's not about what kind of picture it is. It's about what kind of picture it's perceived to be. Continuing with the article. More critically, neither of those comic book adaptations, and they're not, presented narratives that required deep dish foreknowledge of a larger cinematic universe. Now, that's a, that's a valid point right there. Yes, Black Panther referenced ev events from Captain America Civil War and Avengers Age of Ultron, but sparingly so in a way that was readily accessible to audiences who'd never even heard of those other movies. And really, who's never heard of the Avengers movies? Huh? The Joker was a standalone, full stop, drawing from the larger Batman comic book lore, but in a story that could have just as easily been set in 1970s Manhattan instead of Gotham City. And that was my point earlier. It's Taxi Driver. It's the French Connection. It's it's those crime, you know, Serpico, that kind of uh, that kind of picture. It's not a it's not a cape movie. Continuing, No Way Home is perhaps the least standalone comic book movie ever made. It doesn't just reference several movies within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the five previous Spider-Man movies starring Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield dating back nearly 20 years. It does so masterfully, drawing on its audience's marrow deep affection for those characters in widely entertaining fashion. But those characters are either in largely familiar costumes and sets from previous movies, or nondescript ones that are then heavily damaged in battle and through, and though several actors give affecting performances, especially Garfield and Marissa Tomei, none of the actors in No Way Home mounted a serious campaign for a nomination. So, they might have given good performances, but they didn't lobby, they didn't campaign for an Oscar nomination. And that right there tells me a little bit more about the Oscars than perhaps the Oscars want you to know. Because it's not necessarily only about the quality of the craft or what political message it sends to nominate X and so and thus and so and so and so. It's also about how well you campaign for your particular category to get a nomination for yourself. It's, we see these, you know, we've got a whole, whole mess of emails for your consideration. We get, you know, the publicity people and the marketing people who sit there and mount campaigns to get the Academy to consider nominating particular work. We see it every year. They take out full-page ads. So, it's political as much as it is anything else. And whether or not Spider-Man No Way Home did a campaign, <clears throat> there's no way it's going to get any kind of a nomination like, like Best Picture. It's just not. Because that's not how the Academy works. 
Mazur says, as a kid, I remember no movies I liked ever won, and you could ask the question, why didn't they win? It was just never answered. The snobby machinery of Hollywood churning on as it has. Yes. It's exactly what it is. And I could, I could also make the argument, and I can make the point, that the snobbery of Hollywood as it as it relates to the Academy Awards also can relate to how they feel about you in other ways. Because the Hollywood snobbery doesn't limit itself, is not limited to just the awards. SAG after award, Directors Guild Award, Producers Guild Awards, Academy Awards, Emmy Awards, the Tonys, of course, that's theater, not, well, that's theater, not filmed media, same kind of thing. Any of these prestige awards, Hugo nomination, you know, the Hugos, the Saturns, it's not necessarily how good you are at what you do. And when it comes to life in general and commenting on any subject under the sun, these people think that they know better than you and they will tell you so. And heaven help you if you criticize them. Mazur says, even the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has its own internally corrupted bias, arguably. Yeah, I mean, every, every, system, every system's got its, got its flaws. No question. And, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and those of us who have been fans of <clears throat> science fiction and fantasy, we know just from the get-go that there's not any way rarely anyway that the movies we enjoy are going to get nominated for the big awards <clears throat> they'll get the technical achievements six ways from sunday i mean john dykstra got an academy award specifically because he designed a new camera for the empire strikes back it's a technical achievement award Ultimately, what do the awards mean? Ultimately, the awards are just another marketing tool. Hey, we've got an Academy Award winning actor on our cast. Okay. Does that make your story any better? It might elevate a performance. But does that make your story any better? And stop and consider, really, if you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe... You look at how many prestige actors have been part of this. Robert Redford? Glenn Close? What about... Oh, Ben Kingsley? These are not, these are not shabby actors. What about, uh, excuse me, what about um, 
Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, Sir Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen. They're not slouches. But Robert Redford, of all people, well, that was probably the biggest surprise for me. When we get Robert Redford in a Marvel movie. Michael Douglas. Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, these are people who are at or pa just past the pinnacle of their careers. It's not like they're they're the you know they're the box office gold that they were five ten years ago, but they have history. They have legacy. These are these are performers that have a very, shall I say, storied careers, and they're showing up in superhero movies. Maybe because their grandkids tell them you got to do it. Maybe they just want to do something on a lark and have some fun. Who knows? But it's not going to win them any awards. And as long as we all know that going into it, we can manage our expectations, right? All right, that's going to do it for us today. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully I didn't blow anybody out with my, with my hacking and wheezing and stuff. Mazur says... Uh, Hopkins was amusing in Thor, but I was tickled at his appearance in Transformers the last night. <laughs> they they do they do sometimes have a tendency to surprise us sometimes, right? Uh, because we sit there and go, oh wait, that's I know who that is. It's always fun to see him out of context doing something you don't expect him to do. So. Okay, so there is that. I think coming up on Thursday, we're going to try to do another Superman and Lois discussion. Uh, no, wait, no. Um, I don't think there's a Superman and Lois this week anyway because of the Olympics. So never mind, scratch that. I didn't say that, forget it. We'll do something tomorrow and, and Thursday. Uh, we'll probably take a look at the Village Roadshow lawsuit against Warner Brothers uh, maybe tomorrow or, or Thursday, depending on if I can get some people in here to discuss it. If you've got suggestions for guests for us to invite, or if you've got topics you'd like us to, uh, to, um, to discuss, uh, you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom Don't forget to uh, leave a comment, and uh, on your way out, you can hit the thumbs up. You can find us on all sorts of social media channels. We've got uh, multiple video channels where you can subscribe and follow us. And, of course, we've got a newsletter you can sign up for as well. There's a widget over at scififormeat.com. You can go and just fill out the form and, and get signed up there. And, of course, we've got the tip jar and the subscribe star if you want to give us uh, some financial support, but uh, certainly under no obligation for that. And uh, we just appreciate that you're here. We're closing in. Again, we're closing in. On 2,000 subscribers, we lost a few, we gained a few, so we're creeping up towards 2,000 subscribers. At some point, past 2,000, once we're solidly past 2,000, we'll do a, a special celebratory stream. And we do have plans for some more watch parties over on our Twitch channel, so join us over there for that. In the meantime, check out uh, all of the rest of the videos that we've got here. Feel free to share with your friends, and we will do this all again tomorrow. Remember... They want you to think that there are five lights, but there are four lights.
This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.